My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. And welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Natalia Sudeko and Hector Balderos Campos. In Canada, we have food to eat because of the labor of migrant workers. Each year, around 60,000 people come to Canada to work under the Seasonal Agricultural Worker Program and the Agricultural Stream of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, and that number is growing. They spend 3 to 11 months per year in Canada, some for 5, 10, even 20 years, And though sometimes framed as an extraordinary measure required to meet so-called labor market gaps, migrant workers have been integral to how the agricultural industry in this country has operated for at least five decades. Despite this essential role, Canada treats migrant agricultural workers very poorly. They do hard work and work long hours, but are paid low wages. They're brought to Canada on closed work permits that tie them to a single employer, which gives employers great power over them. Many face harassment, abuse, unsafe working conditions, isolation, regular violations of minimum employment standards, poor housing conditions, and even instances of physical and sexual assault. If they try to assert their rights or to organize, employers have significant power over sending them home and refusing to hire them back again the following year. They pay into national programs like the Canada Pension Plan and Employment Insurance, but face more restrictions than citizens or permanent residents in accessing benefits, and can face restrictions in their ability to access services like healthcare. And they're offered no pathway to becoming citizens in this country that so depends on their labor. The Dignidad Migrante Society is a worker-based non-profit organization devoted to workers helping workers stand up for their rights. It has existed in various forms and under various names since around 2007, but it took on its current incarnation a little more than two years ago. The organization is based in Vancouver, and much of their organizing work has happened in British Columbia, but they have active members in Ontario and other parts of the country too. Crucially, every member of its board of directors is a migrant worker. In trying to organize, connecting with workers who live and work on often isolated farms can be a challenge. Word of mouth among migrant workers is important, as is outreach in community and commercial spaces in nearby towns. Over the years, they've built up relationships with workers who return each year, who get in touch after they arrive, and may be able to invite Dignidad Migrante to do a farm visit. And they also organize events, like community dinners. One important part of the organization's work is doing trainings, including workshops to help workers know their rights when it comes to things like taxes, occupational health and safety, employment insurance, and so on but also others with a more practical focus, like equipment and protective measures for applying pesticides and approaches to avoiding workplace injury. Crucially, they also do frontline worker-to-worker support, everything from translation at medical appointments to peer support in navigating Canadian bureaucracies to advice and support in standing up to employer abuses. An important principle in their work is that when a worker receives help from the organization, they are expected to help other workers in turn. The organization also does policy advocacy and lobbying, 
And today, with the severe limits on interpersonal contact due to the COVID-19 pandemic, they're making greater use of social media like Facebook and YouTube to create and share resources. Natalia Sudeko grew up in Vancouver. She's lived in a few other places in her life, including Mexico, where she learned Spanish, and at various points in the past has been involved in organizing with workers. When she moved back to Vancouver a few years ago, she began volunteering with Dignidad Migrante. Hector Balderos Campos is from Mexico. He's been coming to Canada as a migrant worker for 15 years, in recent years to work in the beef industry. He first encountered an earlier version of Dignidad Migrante about 10 years ago, and in the last two years he has been more heavily involved, including as a member of the organization's board of directors. I speak with them about migrant agricultural workers in Canada and about Dignidad Migrante. My name's Natalia. I grew up in Vancouver, and I still live here now. I got involved with the organization a couple of years ago. I've been involved in some workers organizing over the past few years, although not in Vancouver. I spent quite a few years living in Mexico, studying there and working for nonprofits, and so I learned Spanish. And when I moved back to Vancouver, volunteering with Dignidad Migrante was a really great way to use those Spanish skills for a cause that I'm happy to support. My name is Hector Valderas Campos. I am from Mexico. I've been working in Canada for 15 years, 10 years in a swap program, and five years already on the beef production. I grew in Mexico, and since I've come to Canada, I didn't speak any work in English, and then I met Dignidad like 10 years ago. Two years ago, I got volunteer helping Dignidad, and I got involved and involved and involved, and now I'm here helping others, and I'm really happy helping my co-workers, like the temporary farm workers, because we we been through a lot of issues. So I'm happily helping. Dignidad Migrante Society is a worker-based nonprofit organization. So it's a registered society, and our board of directors who make all the important decisions is comprised entirely of migrant workers. So it's workers helping workers to stand up for their rights. And I'm part of the Dignidad Migrante Board. And I'm just another worker trying to help other workers getting knowledge to our rights. There are tens of thousands of temporary foreign workers in Canada every year. We work in large part with migrant agricultural workers, many of whom come through the Seasonal Agricultural Worker Program. So they come from three months to 11 months out of the year. Many come for 5, 10, 15, 20 seasons. However, in spite of all the time they spend in Canada, none of that time counts towards accruing any sort of permanent status. So they're always just a seasonal worker, which means they don't have a pathway to permanent residency and they're not entitled to a lot of the same benefits, government benefits, for example, that Canadians and permanent residents are entitled to. Like most other temporary foreign workers as well, their work permits are tied to a single employer. So they're brought here to work on one farm. And that leads to a lot of exploitation. If they are no longer able to work on that farm, then they can't just go work somewhere else. They can't just seek employment elsewhere. There's a whole process that an employer needs to go through in order to hire a temporary foreign worker, and it can be time-consuming and complex. So many, many agricultural workers who are in Canada who are not being paid properly, who are being harassed or abused in the workplace, they don't speak up because they're afraid that if they do, that's it for their employment. They'll be sent home immediately and they won't have any recourse for how they were treated. 
So one of the important things that we've been advocating for is an open work permit system where instead of being tied to a single employer, workers can come and they can work in an industry. So they have the ability to move around and they have the bargaining power and a little bit more equality that comes with that. Temporary farmers is almost always they come for three months to eight months a year. They work in the agriculture sector, which is cranberry farms, potatoes, nurseries. Some people do fruit like apple cherries, picking up cherries, and so on. Then not many people working in the beef production or on the cattle production, milk, which is most of the Philippines are doing that. There's a pretty wide variety of types of farms that seasonal agricultural workers work in. One of the issues that we see frequently is that people are hired as general farm laborers and they make minimum wage, which is associated with that. And yet when they come here, their bosses realize that they have other skills, like maybe they can drive a truck or drive a forklift. So they're put into those jobs and yet they're not provided with training for them necessarily and their pay is not increased. So they're still being paid as a general laborer because that's what's in their contract, even though they're actually filling a skilled job position and they're not getting compensated for that. One of the most mistakes I've seen from employers is we used to come and do some general work. And like Natalia say, we got skills or we they find to do what skills. And I'm seeing a lot of Mexicans applying pesticides but in their own, with no supervisors, with no guide or a course to do that. And I haven't seen people just giving the notes, how much per liter, how much per acre they have to put on. And sometimes they get no protection. That I'm seeing regularly. And I did it for a couple of years, but I always got a supervisor with me. But after I left, I quit my job. Another Mexicans come to do the same thing, but on their own. They never got any supervisors with them. And that's a big mistake, in my own opinion. What other problems and abuses and forms of exploitation do migrant agricultural workers in Canada face? The problems generally start before the workers even arrive in Canada. They're often given a copy of their contract, which they're not allowed to participate in elaborating that contract, and then they're provided it and told to sign. But they're not given a copy in Spanish or their own language. So they often don't really understand what's in the contract, what their rights are. When they arrive, they're generally taken straight to the farm. They live in crowded housing with other workers. They don't have a sense of what they're entitled to in Canada. They don't necessarily know what our laws are in relation to minimum wage, in relation to overtime, in relation to holiday pay, in relation to occupational health and safety, which, as Hector mentioned, with spraying of pesticides, for example, is a big issue. And one of the main things that Dignidad Migrante does is help workers file work-safe complaints and access medical care if they've been injured on the job. So the problems really start from the very beginning because workers are not educated about what their rights are in Canada. And then once they arrive, they often work really long hours. Sometimes the requirements for breaks are not fulfilled. We've had cases where workers have even asked for water to be provided for them when they're picking in the fields in the summer and it's been denied. So abuses can be really blatant. There have been instances of actual physical assault by supervisors on workers and female workers often experience sexual harassment and other sorts of gender-based harassment in the workplace as well. Because workers don't know what their rights are, they often don't know what they're looking at when they get their pay stub. So they don't understand why certain things are being deducted. 
seasonal agricultural workers pay into things like EI and CPP, but they don't know that they have access to them in the event that they suffer an injury and they become disabled. Or in the case of workers who've been coming for 20 seasons and are at the point of retiring, they don't necessarily know that they can access the Canadian pension plan. So we provide workshops to help educate workers about their rights and how to stand up for them and what they're entitled to. Unfortunately, many workers fear and often justifiably retaliation if they attend these workshops. There's intimidation happening. There's workers who are sent home if they complain or are effectively blacklisted for participating in organizing related activities. And because there's no sort of seniority system, so even workers who've been coming for 20 years, they don't gain any seniority through the program. If they do something that their employer doesn't like, if they're seen as a troublemaker, then their employer will simply request that they not come back the following year. It's more that employees are thinking that they have a slave, not a worker. Sometimes it's just they're not thinking that we're humans. They're thinking we're slaves, which is not the truth. I've been discriminated so many times. When the first time I came to Canada, I didn't speak any English, and then I started myself. I never went to school. And then in our contract says we're not allowed to go any schooling or any training or anything like that. But we still got the skills to grow up and do better things, and we never get any pay extra for that. Myself, I can do many things like driving excavators, dump trucks, trucks, tractors, doing hay which many of the Mexicans we are doing, and we never get any cents extra for that. We just get the minimum wage, which a Canadian will make like 30 bucks an hour. We're only doing 13, 60 bucks an hour doing the same thing. Then we get injured. They don't want to take us to the hospital because he was injured in the work, and they don't want to get in trouble with the work safe on the employer side. But we still need to see the doctors. I've been seeing that so many times. Access to medical care is a really big issue. We see a lot of denial of workplace injuries. Employers who don't want to recognize that an injury is actually something that happened on the job. Workers have a right to worker compensation. They have a right to remain in Canada while they're being rehabilitated and to access the care that's needed. But often what we see is if a worker gets injured, then they are immediately laid off and sent home. That's something we try really hard to prevent. In the houses, they're really tied up. Some places, they just crowded a Mexican in a house. There's probably 10 people living in a house or more, or 15 people living together in one house, and they'd only got one laundry machine, one bathroom. They have to share everything, kitchens and everything, and they only give them about a half an hour lunch or one hour lunch, or they have to get up early in the morning, like, three or four in the morning to make the proper lunch when they go to the farm. And to do that to 15 people at a time is just frustrating. And they get no privacy sometimes. It's just so many people living together. What can you tell me about the founding of Dignidad Migrante? The group was founded under a different name. It's existed in some form or another since around 2007, 2008. One of the founders is himself a, a refugee from Mexico who, when he first came to Canada, worked picking fruit in the Okanagan and through that realized that this issue of the treatment of migrant agricultural workers in Canada was a really big problem. And the group kind of grew from there. It's had a number of names and organizational structures since then, but we've been in place as the Dignidad Migrante Society since the beginning of 2018. 
and have been doing similar work throughout that time. So advocating for policy and legislative change, but primarily assisting workers in a more sort of frontline worker-to-worker way. I know the organization for a long time. I got a child like 11 years ago, and I didn't know they have the right to claim the parental benefits. And I just let it go for a couple of years. And then uh, one of my co-workers told me, you should do this. You should go to the organization and try to get this right. So I went to talk to the organization and they helped me. They fight for me. And then one of the rules of the organization is if we help, you have to help others. So they helped me. And since then, I've been helping Dignidad for seven years already. Two years ago, I just got more involved in the board. I'm really happy to help people more and more. Because what I've been seeing myself, so many other people are doing treated the same and they know how to defend themselves. And the organization alone is doing a great job for so many years. And Dignidad Migrante is one of the organizations you can trust them. So I'd imagine that one of the challenges when you're organizing with migrant agricultural workers is connecting with them in the first place. How do you go about doing that? There's quite a few ways. I might start off with kind of my own personal initiation into the process. I started volunteering in, I guess, 2017. At one point during that summer, I was told we're going to go do outreach today. I didn't know what outreach would be like, but myself and a couple other volunteers and some workers piled into a car and drove out to a superstore in Langley. We had a bunch of flyers and we went on a Sunday afternoon, which is when, as I've since learned, many migrant farm workers do their shopping because they often work Monday through Saturday and only have Sundays off. So going to Superstore in Langley is a good way to see workers on a Sunday afternoon. So we got out of the car. One of the other volunteers, a migrant worker that was there, put on a very large, very noticeable sombrero like a stereotypical Mexican sombrero, and walked throughout Superstore saying hello to everyone that he thought might be a temporary foreign worker and handing out little flyers. It was incredibly simple and remarkably well-received. I was amazed at how many people we actually connected with that day. So we do really simple, hands-on things like that, going to places that we know that workers congregate, as well as visiting them on their farms. Now that the organization's been around for a while, we do have a number of contacts with farms and with workers. When they come back each season, they'll often call us and let us know where they're working and who else is working there. And sometimes we'll invite us to do a workshop for them and their co-workers. We also organize events, and that's a really effective way of meeting new workers and getting them interested in the organization. So we have a Father's Day event every year. This year, we also did a Mother's Day event, as in the last year and a half or so, we've begun working with more women, temporary foreign workers. In the past, it's been primarily men. We often have a big dinner, games, prizes, raffles entertainment. And this year, we had around 200 workers come to our event for Father's Day in Langley. And many of them, we end up getting contact information and staying in touch afterwards. When you hear from one of the workers that you're connected with, and they say, hey, I'm having such and such a problem with my employer, what can Dignidad do to support them? We do what the worker wants to do. Some people are really nervous about advocating for themselves, and so they might not want to take more dramatic steps. But it ranges from 
you know, we might call the farm or help the worker to write a letter explaining, it's my understanding that my rights are this, and it looks like you're treating me in this other way. I want you to address this. That is a first step. There are processes for reporting abuses directly to the federal government. At times, they may inspect the farm on the basis of a report like that. It's not always something you can count on happening or happening in a timely way. Sometimes we'll help workers file complaints, so an employment standards branch complaint, a WorkSafe complaint, a human rights complaint, and we'll provide assistance and representation throughout that process. Other times we'll help workers, if there's a group of workers who've been affected, take steps together to talk to their employer about it. But everything starts with making sure the worker knows what their rights are and what they can do about it. Yeah, and before to do that, we have to know what the problem is, too. We have to make sure this is a real problem or this is minimum problem. So we decide from there if we're going to do it or not do it. What kinds of workshops and trainings do you do? We have, I think, 19 different workshops developed about a bunch of different topics. So there's one on the Canadian Pension Plan. There's one on taxes. We have the support of a fantastic accountant who helps us. We help workers gather the information that's necessary to do their taxes, and we have an accountant who does it for them as a volunteer, charging a very low fee. We have workshops on employment standards rights, workshops on occupational health and safety, so both the legal side of things, WorkSafe, Workers' Compensation Act, what you're entitled to, but then also how to actually protect yourself at work. So we've had workshops on protective measures and equipment for spraying pesticides, for example. We've had workshops on ergonomics and how to avoid injuries in different jobs. But our workshops are constantly changing because we design them based on what workers tell us that they want to learn about. Those workshops are working pretty good. We all go to the workshop at least once a year. And we get educated in different things like income tax, CPP, unemployment sharing, which is one of the most important things. Temporary income work is paid for the unemployment insurance. And in some ways, we're not allowed to get what all Canadians, citizens or residents are allowed to get. And we have to know which we are looking for, right? Because I think we all deserve the same treatment. And when you're supporting a worker, what can the group do to mitigate the very real threat of employer retaliation that you mentioned earlier? It's limited. I mean, we can help workers to achieve a positive outcome in their specific case. So if it's that they haven't been paid, we can file a complaint and we can help them get paid. Sometimes just putting pressure on the employer through a letter or alerting the government might help achieve that outcome as well. But if it's a worker not being brought back the next year, that is a more difficult issue to address because it's something that starts in the country of origin through the agency that runs the program on that end. In our view, the Canadian government should be doing more to ensure that blacklisting doesn't happen. But it's really difficult. And until you change the structure of the program to end this kind of closed work permit system, I don't think that that power imbalance will ever be completely gone. Not that any employer-employee relationship has a power balance that's equal, but it's particularly unequal in light of that work permit system. What are Dignidad's key demands in terms of policy changes? We would like to see an open work permit, or at least 
an open sectoral work permit that allows workers to work for multiple employers within a given sector. Right now, we are really focusing our demands on things that are particularly relevant to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we want workers to be able to access the full suite of employment insurance benefits that are available to Canadians and permanent residents, regardless of whether they're in Canada or in their country of origin. Many workers have not been able to come to Canada this year or they've been delayed. They're not able to access benefits, and yet they might have been working in Canada for 10 years, eight or nine months out of the year. And so they're not entitled to benefits that may be available in their home country either. And it's really unfair that these workers who are so essential always, but especially now in times of crisis, putting food on our tables and making sure supply chains continue are falling through the cracks in that way. We also want to make sure that workers have access to paid sick leave, two weeks of paid sick leave for every worker, regardless of where they work. And we're calling on the BC government to permanently end the three-month waiting period to access the medical services plan coverage. We understand that that access is being provided immediately right now as a result of the pandemic, which is a good step, but we think that nobody should have to wait for health care, especially when workers don't always have private insurance when they come here and they often are dealing with employment situations where they're being denied or prevented or impeded from accessing medical care. So we think that's really key. My biggest concern is that Canada has got most under control with the COVID-19, but Mexico, the curve is just going up like crazy. They're talking about being worse than Italy or Spain, and it's just getting a starter. I don't know how this is going to affect to everybody or if any of the crew workers who are going to come to work in Canada, they have to be in quarantine for two weeks or three weeks and they have to get paid. But what about if they got infected or they come infected to Canada? What's going to happen then? That leads into another really important point that Hector mentioned earlier about housing. As I'm sure you've heard, the government has posted guidelines for employers that say that all temporary foreign workers are required to self-isolate for 14 days and that they need to be paid for that time. Unfortunately, it's really difficult to self-isolate when you live in a room with eight other workers and you're in bunk beds and everybody is sharing, you know, five stoves for 30 workers and three bathrooms. The accommodations that employers provide for migrant workers are often really substandard, very crowded, and they're certainly not conducive to self-isolation during a pandemic. We've been fighting for these standards to be improved for a long time, but it couldn't be any more apparent than now how important it is that workers both have access to decent, livable accommodations, as well as access to prompt medical care in the case that, you know, somebody is infected and there is an outbreak on a farm. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable that the government is asking employers to ensure that workers self-isolate with the knowledge of what workers actually face in terms of living conditions. I think the key of the organization is to be treated with liberty and respect is our big, big goal. You have been listening to my interview with Natalia Sudeko and Hector Balderos Campos of the Dignidad Migrante Society. To learn more about their work, go to dignidadmigrantesociety.org.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Oh,